my dudes it's your boy adam ward and joining me on this week's show is a star of stage and screen jennifer varda jen has starred in plays such as all our daughters at the new vic the collector at the hope street theater and clubbing at the liverpool everyman and playhouse as well as appearing in shows such as shameless peaky blinders and the five in this week's episode we talk self-care appreciating opportunities blm drama school and love actually so without further ado this is episode five of your boy cancelled your boys Aberdeen. Hi, I'm Jennifer Varda. You're listening to Your Boy Cancelled with Adam Ward. I'm just noticing as well, my jacket is a bit, I think that's going to come up. The loud How are you jacket. wearing that in this heat? It is so hot. <laughs> Why I, are you wearing? I was wearing a denim shirt, and then I was like, "Jacket looks a bit nicer." So I've it looks good. And then, then, then the other thing I was thinking was, no one's seeing this anyway. This isn't visual anyway. I yeah. I like it makes me happy, and that's what's important. That's, that's all the matter. Honestly, don't listen to my critique. I know nothing. So joining me this week is star of stage and screen, Jennifer Varda. How are we? Yeah, fine. I loved that intro. Mm-hmm. That was that was beautiful. Thank Probably you, Adam. Fun. Are you good though? I'm all good. Yeah, as I say, I've just I've just had a burrito. So for some reason, I feel all over the place. You know, because it's such a challenge to eat one. Yeah. And the inside of it was really hot. We used like leftover chili, mm-hmm. and it was really hot, and it had guacamole in. So because I had like half an hour between the last meeting I was in to this one, I, I just. It, it was stressful, the burrito situation. So I'm just still reeling over that. But other than that, I'm all good. See, I like burritos, but I don't like messiness. Yes. Yeah, you know same. I mean? It's stuff like chicken wings. Like, yes. I like it. I like to eat it, but I hate the feeling of being sticky. I hate I'm really that. Well, but they're like my favorite, all time favorite, like burrito, chicken mm. wings, sticky ribs. And yeah. they're just an absolute nightmare. Because um, I'll, I'll attempt to eat it with a knife and fork. Mm-hmm. But then everyone's like, what, what are you, why are you eating with a knife and fork? Who are you? And then well. like, every single time I'll try it. And then like, I'll give up and be like, no, I just need to eat this with my hands. But yeah, you've been... I need to do it hunter-gatherer style. Exactly. Yeah, you just got to go full primal. Have you had food at, um, what's that place in the Baltic called? And it's all outdoors. Oh, uh, like... Baltic marketplace. Not there specifically. There's a place I've, I've been a bunch of times recently. Constellations. Constellation. I've been there for a drink, but I haven't eaten yet. Ooh, the food is surprisingly good. I didn't think it would be. Why did you not think it would be? Well, no. I think. Well, I just. I. <laughs> nothing against <laughs> constellations. But I've no, no, no. I've, I've only been for just drinks. So, okay. Like I've never been for food. And I had food and their chicken wings were unreal, but so sticky and messy, ridiculously sticky and messy, but I would recommend them. If they want to sponsor YBC, I'm more than happy for them to sponsor. I did this Clarence facial scrub earlier. Oh, hello, blow up. Well, well the th- my skin was feeling not fantastic. And you know, sometimes you need to get that, that self-care in. Yeah, you do, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to have a few blemishes over the next few days, but then this skin is going to be delightful. Perfect skin, there's nothing wrong oh, with it. Oh, I really this. don't. In this light, it looks okay. If you look closer, a little blemish here and one over here. 
weather and being locked, locked mm, up, locked yeah. down, locked whatever. Yeah, I've totally done the same as I'm, I've been taking, trying to do the self care things because it was never like a face mask girl or a you know pore strip girl. I'm not really that high maintenance, no. but I just thought you know. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put a heavy conditioner on. I'm going to put a face mask on and I'm going to do my, you know, pore strip thing. And you do, you just, you do feel a bit better, don't you? you? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I am surprisingly high maintenance and Erin would probably, um, (laughs) but yeah, you got to do bits and pieces to feel good about yourself, don't you? In this day and age. So, Jen, this is your boy cancelled. What are you cancelling? Adam, I couldn't sleep last night deciding what to pick because there are so many things that I would like to cancel, but... I'm going to have to go for Love Actually, the film. See, I quite like aspects of it. There's certain things in Love Actually that I actually hate. I think I've talked to you about it before. But I hate the little boy story. I hate that story. Yeah. And also, Laura Linney's character bugs the hell out of me as well. Um, oh, God. It's just like... You meant to feel... This is the thing that gets me right. And this is the thing... Like, we're taught as actors as well. Not to try and pull on the heartstrings of the audience. And I feel like that's all that film does. Alongside this sort of obnoxious, quintessential Britishness, you know, that I just can't... Even even the likes of Bill Nye, Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, just couldn't save it for me. So that... That's why you cancel it. See, for me, I feel like those three are the saving graces of that film because I love everything Bill Nighy does and the Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman story is the most solid story within that landscape. No, I've got to agree with you, Adam. I'm sorry. Like, no, it, it, okay, it's a solid story, but the whole thing about it, you know, the sort of, am I allowed to slightly swear or not? Swear as much as you want. Okay, I don't even know if it's a swear word, to be honest. But slightly slaggy, um, you know, woman that works for Alan Rickman's character. It's just so not believable. Like All her lines do make my skin uh, crawl. Yes. What's, the, what's that line that she says? Oh, I can't, I can't even, where she... There's lots of like just disgustingly like lines that she has. But one of them, it's something like along the lines of, oh, lots of um, dark places for dark. Oh, when she opens her legs, bring it out. Proper creep. I don't know. And Colin Firth, I love as well. I absolutely love Colin Firth. See, I, I hate Colin Firth. Oh, okay. I would cancel oh. Colin Firth because this is, this, this is Colin Firth every single film he's ever done. Well, I, well, the thing is, uh, I'm quite terribly always. I'm, I'm so sorry about this. Well, Colin Firth, that's all he does. Hugh Grant. <laughs> but Colin, that's it. Colin Firth is Hugh Grant Jr. I don't know, like Mr. Darcy and then King's Speech, you know. There's a bit of range there now. <laughs> All just like upper middle class stuttering man. Oh, and someone else in that cast. I'm sorry, I've got to cancel. I'm sorry. Kira Knightley. Any film she's in, I can't. She is extraordinarily beautiful. Let's let's not forget that. But that doesn't make you an actress. That doesn't make you an actor, you know. And it's just like the whole you know, the, the pouty and the, oh, oh, I look quite pretty, That's you know. The line, and isn't it? Like, yeah. Oh, sure. When she's like, just... I've got banoffee pie or I've got munchies. Oh, and you know, and, and the way the, what's his name, the one who was on Teachers, the one that fancies her, yeah. if you're on Teachers, mate, is standing on The Walking Dead. 
that could have gone wrong in so many ways. First of all, she might not have answered the door, you know. Second of all, he, her, her, her husband now might have come down the stairs um, and been like, what's going on? Why have you got all these signs? Do you know, it's just... I, I, also, I am... What a bad guy. Like, that's his best friend and his best friend's wife that he was the best man of. And yeah. he's sneaking around behind his back to get big, with his with his wife who he's always professed to hate. I know and the whole kiss bit and like it's like enough now. It's like oh god. Yeah because me- that, that line as well enough yeah. now. What does that mean? Because he's just kissed his best friend's wife. Yeah. Like, in his eyes, does he mean, oh, okay, I've kissed her now, so that's enough, I'll leave them alone? Yeah. But I then don't... he clearly opened a can of worms by just doing that. Is it not going to be awkward now? Like, is it not going to be awkward at any, you know, to the pub? Or what if she starts having feelings for him and then he meets someone? I could just see it being a whole other film, but, like, not in a good way. Yeah. I just think it's a pile of shite. I am cancelling people who don't give dogs special attention. Yes, yeah, same. Because I hate oh, I, I know. I and love I'm, dogs more. Yeah, no, completely. I'm the exact same. I, I think if you don't love dogs more than people, there's something wrong with you. And I feel like if you don't have a different voice or way of talking, when you're talking to a dog, I think you're probably the devil. Same. I like, think- you've got to go, oh! Yeah, yeah, whether it's doing that or like, so I do a really weird thing and I don't know why I do this, but I talk to, I talk to dogs like they're, like they're posh children or very nice old people. I just mean the posh children. Like, well, hello, little miss. And I don't oh, yeah. know why I do that, but I can't <laughs> help it. It's like Erin's dog, Paddy. Whenever I see him, I'm like, well, hello, sir. And I don't know why I talk to them so formally, but I can't help it. It just comes <laughs> over me. But I think yeah. if you don't, if you're not one of those people who feels like that way about dogs, I think there's something wrong with you. The thing is, when I was when I was a kid, I remember our family dog. We were taking him to the park. His name was Ben. He was a Jack Russell, and he was a little shit. You know, because they think that they're bigger than they are. But anyway, he picked on the wrong dog this time. I was only like four or five, and this dog he survived thankfully, but this dog ripped him apart, like literally ripped him apart. Um, And the owner was horrible as well. So from then, I had a bit of a fear of dogs. I mean, I was only four. I I can understand if people are scared of dogs, if they've had an experience, but if they just don't like them. As a kid, I was a bit, I was a bit afraid of dogs. I remember being chased by a German Shepherd. And the thing was, it was a really nice German Shepherd. I was just playing football with my mates and the owner of the dog was like, he just thinks you're playing. And I was just running away because I was the dog. I was must've been like seven. And this dog was taller than me. And he was running after me, literally just playing. But I'm like, oh God, ah, ah. Yeah. But it wasn't until Aaron having a dog. Yeah. Suddenly, when you're around dogs all the time, then you realise how um, magical they are. What kind of dog would you want? Definitely a rescue. I think I find that really hard going to like RSPCA though. I'd want them all. I saw a great story uh, um, at the start of lockdown and it was a dog shelter and people had come in and taken all of the dogs because they just want something to keep busy during lockdown. So it was the first time in this shelter's history that they had absolutely no dogs. Oh my God, that's so nice. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking was they had a lot of staff, like a lot of staff, like a good 20 people. And I'm just thinking, 
what are these 20 people going to do now that they're um, out of dogs? <laughs> they're out of business now. But it they was are... a nice story and a nice video to watch. Yes, that's it. Let's, let's remember the good part of that yeah, story. Remember the good times. Remember the good Not times. The staff that was sacked. And... Yeah, I mean, that's neither here nor there. That's, <laughs> that's COVID for you. So going back to the start, what made you want to become a performer? Oh, see, it's hard to answer this question without sounding like a bit of a dick, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's hard knowing what to say, because genuinely, I have, it's always been what I wanted to do. I don't know if that's such a cliche thing to say. No, it uh, is. Different, but it's not um i was like in school did drama in school it was it was the best mark that i got but i really enjoyed it as well carries it on to college and then went to drama school and then went to uni in a really weird like i did one after the other it was it was bizarre i don't know why i did that i want to ask you about that because so for people who don't know what a lot of people do kind of the, the usual route is someone will do a degree in say drama or performance or dance and then we'll go and do a year MA or spend time training at a drama school after that it's like a top up but you did the opposite route of you did train the yard and didn't you yeah I did now the re- actually you know what I do know the reason just very briefly because I could go on for ages I've actually the interview I had before this it was with an agent so I've signed up to a new agency and she actually went the one who gave me the interview she went to Arden so we got into like this big it was only meant to be like a 10 minute chat but we got on really well got into this big nostalgic chat and everything anyway cut a long story short I was speaking about it and although the Arden there was a lot of plus points about it taught me discipline a lot of different acting techniques at the same time, I remember I went there when I was 18 and I just didn't feel like I've made the best of it. And I think that when I'd left, when I finished Arden, I just jumped straight back into university studies. I think because as well, I felt like the training was for, it was for a form of performance that was slightly outdated for example there wasn't a mix like there is now of like acting for screen I think we had one module of that in the whole three years so I didn't have that I felt like I wanted to explore more the theoretical side because to be honest in drama school it breaks you down and sometimes it just, just to go a bit deep they don't build you back up again so you're just like do I actually want to do this do I actually want to be be an actor so even though it was a really weird way around it I just felt like I don't know I just needed to explore new avenues by doing the same course I don't know no it does make sense though I was 21 and just thought you know what sod it I'm just gonna go for it and I think a part of me wasn't really ready when I graduated to to go out into the big wide world because they do just break you down so much they were they were pretty horrendous at times I think times have changed now that people are more mindful of people's mental health and you know struggles because it was difficult being a teenager and doing such a demanding course I was just a bit mad back then to be honest so it took on I don't know I think that's I think that's the interesting thing with actor training because they want you to touch into such deep and challenging emotions and themes and I think Mm -hmm. when you're a teenager it's it can be a lot 
to to yeah. deal with that kind of stuff but then it's knowing where to draw the line because it's are you giving yeah. the person that that education to put them in the best position possible to perform later in life and be able to tap into these things as well mm-hmm. as knowing is this the right thing for this particular student to do 100 percent. and i think like i'm sure i'm sure it's different now as i say i think everyone's taken you know mental health more seriously but when i was there i think they just i just remember them just doing anything to get the that sort of level of uh you know the stakes are high in this scene so I'm gonna upset this 19 year old actress you know this was in the second year so much that she crumped you know it was just like but when I think because there wasn't any support they weren't regulated there was no support there um really so if you were struggling there wasn't really anyone you could speak to about it without them sort of saying well maybe it's not the line of work for you then you know do you know what I mean I think people can have that feel can't it of if you don't agree with this thing then this isn't for you yeah that's it but then in a way it's sort of I, I really value what it gave me like the sort of discipline and process I do value those things but at the same time I remember finishing and going I didn't make the most of that do you know what I mean I didn't really like I learned a lot but I didn't feel like I showcased yeah so yeah and it was it was just I don't know it was it was a strange time but yeah I I, I think a, a lot of it's like I think a lot of it's to do with kind of the age and how your kind of maturity level at the time of doing those courses, isn't it? I think when I did a three-year drama course that we that we both did, the first two years were a bit of a write-off for me. Like I didn't yeah. take the first year of that seriously at all. I was just partying and I was just thinking, as long as I get through this year, I don't really care. And then second year was kind of the same. It wasn't until third year where I just thought I need to do something for myself and prove that I'm able to do this stuff. That's yeah. it. I think that, yeah, you. Ch- whereas I was the opposite. So when I was like 18 and I was there, I was so terrified of ever being in any way hungover mm. because they would make an example out of you. Yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm making it sound like it was really horrendous. It wasn't. I'm just saying that it was like hard work. Whereas I did feel like, say, John Moores was a bit more lenient. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, they wouldn't deal with any old crap. but like they wouldn't maybe make as much of an example of you so I felt like I went wild when I was 21 to 24 when I was did the course you know as opposed to when I was 18 so I completely see where you're coming from as much as I wanted to be like partying all the time I just couldn't I was like paralyzed but I think that's the I, I think that's the, that's that's the best way to be because you you're there for a reason. You're not there to party. You're there to to gain something from it. And I, and I definitely think any kind of experience you get out of it, what you put in. Yeah, hundred percent. We need to again. It's part of it's part of uni life. Though, yeah, isn't completely. It? Going out, getting pissed, you know, mm. and everything that goes with that. So mm. it is part of it. So at the same time, you can't be too hard on yourself. No. And I think with drama and performing and kind of creating work, a huge part of that is the drinking side of it. Like yeah, not just specifically drinking, but like I think things like that are great for bringing a team together and a cast together if you go out on the lash and just get boozy. Like when we were doing Long Down Silver, we... Yeah. 
we'd rehearse a couple of a few times a week but we'd always go for drinks at least one night a week and that really brought the whole cast together those kind of socializing outside of that workspace i think makes you so much more comfortable with those people and you're able to give more in the sessions then i think not that i would suggest that as a um as a route for drama (laughs) schools or unis go drinking with everyone once a week yeah no i completely agree because you're laying yourself bare when you're acting it doesn't matter if it's in a farce it doesn't matter of it's in a drama it doesn't matter if it's in a comedy you know it you're laying yourself bare it is if you're in a cast then you've got to trust them and i think that breaking that ice by going for a drink you know and even if people don't really necessarily get on with each other it's sort of there's a middle ground then because everyone wants to go and have a drink you know um, and have a bit of a chill so yeah i think i think you've got the right the right uh, way of thinking there adam so here at YBC, we do our research, Jen. We yes. do our research. And looking at your spotlight, I noticed oh, wow. that one of the accents that you're able to do is Aberdeen. Could I hear, and the YBC audience, hear you do some Aberdeen accent? What would you like me to say in an Aberdeen accent? Ooh, it's sounding nice already. Um, whatever you like, just have, have a read of something. Okay, let me get you something. something nearby, like a book or... Can we, you know, if this is shite, can we add it out? <laughs> Hello, Adam. So I'm loving this podcast that we're doing now. So I travelled from Aberdeen today just to say hi to the YBC audience. Um, So hello, everyone. Um, That's that's pretty good. That is pretty good. I am terrible at accents. What the hell was that? You know what I think I might do? I might not... I might not release the episode and just release that clip of you saying that and have nothing. <laughs> so your accent work. I'm terrible with accents. Uh, there's hardly any accents I can't, I can do. I can do. Same. I can't virtually... do it. I can't believe you asked me to jump. Cause it I, takes... like... <laughs> I like to keep people on their feet. Yeah, you do to keep them on the toes. Yeah. But you, the best thing for me to do I was lucky because I got I got a self-tape where I had to do a Glaswegian accent and I've sort of used that now in you know if it, when I was writing to a few agents I sort of included my showreel and I included a recent self-tape just to show I could do the Glaswegian accent but my partner's uncle is from Glasgow so I was on the phone to him all the time I was watching Glaswegian television you know I'm more by ear so if I haven't heard it for a bit then it's out. Um, it also says that you're highly skilled in martial arts. I uh, am. I'm a black, well, I'm yeah. nearly a black belt in karate. So how did that all come about? Is oh, I was, yeah, I started that when I was a kid. So I was about seven when I started that. And then I got to, I've still got the belt and I've still got, I think it's somewhere. I got a brown striped white belt, which is one below black and I stopped. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I do not know because I'm I'm a weird gal. This is what I do. I do like I don't even mean like in that annoying and quirky sense. I'm just a strange person. I do things weirdly. So it started when I was like 17. So a seven. So then that might have been when I was about 17 that I got or 16. And I just wanted to go out drinking with my friends. And it was the same with ballet. Like I started ballet from a really young age, stopped when I was 17. You know, just stopped. Mm-hmm. 
I just wanted to go and get pissed with my mates and not get up on a Saturday morning or go to karate on a Friday night. But yeah, it's... Um, That's a lot of dedication though, sort of 10 years of karate yeah. and ballet. That's a lot. Yeah, I think they just wanted to get me out of the house, to be honest. <laughs> just like send me to all kinds of clubs. I went to like a French club where we learnt French, surprisingly. I did street dance and like tap, all stuff like that, modern. But I just stopped. You know, I'd, I'd always say to like, I don't know, if I ever have kids, I'd, I wouldn't be a pushy parent, but I'd say just just have a think about whether you really want to finish that. Because you put this many years into it and you've just, you know, you're just going to stop. Yeah, that's uh, it. You, you hear about it with a lot of, a lot of people who play football. They, they yeah. played it all their lives. Then when they're looking at getting trials for places, they start going out with their friends and then they just pack it in. I do find it interesting. It's like my dad. Um, I feel like everyone's got some kind of tr- football trial story, particularly in Leeds. Yeah. But my dad got offered trials at Leeds United. And just oh my didn't God. Go. And he just didn't go. I wonder how different his life could have turned, would have turned out had he gone to those Leeds United trials. Did he ever say why? Or did he just... Um, he just didn't, he just wasn't interested in football being his life. Yeah. And I suppose if you're not super passionate about it, then there's no point keeping it going. In terms of performing, something I'm really interested in is... And something I ask a lot of people on this is appreciating the successes you've had. So you've done TV, you've done you've done a lot of theatre work, and you've done some cool like art installation stuff. Do you kind of appreciate those successes as they come, or are you like me and like a few other people I've spoken to? Are you very much thinking as soon as this is over, I need to have the next thing ready to go, and you don't really have that time to think about it? I think definitely the latter, and I think it's difficult to not be like that. I think you're constantly on a trajectory, you know, as in the because my partner as an artist as well and um, I've noticed that with him you're constantly looking for the next thing I mean for livelihood as well to pay the bills but as well to you know still keep your creative the creative juices flowing and there have been a few things that I've done and gone wow that like I really appreciate that I was a part of that and I didn't think it'd be as well received as it as it was so yeah it's it's a mix really but I'm very much someone who's looking out for the next thing constantly that's why when the lockdown happened because I was meant to go on tour with the new Vic Theatre this year and um, first of all they postponed it because of the election even though they knew that the, <laughs> the the date of the election for a while and then it just sort of stopped so when lockdown happened I was like right well, what am I gonna do you know because as you say as you say yourself and a lot of people have said you're constantly looking for the next big thing so I suppose this has given me time to reflect on some of the things I've done um, and appreciate I always appreciate it yeah. I always appreciate because it's so difficult you know and to get a job in this industry it's just you've got to be grateful for it so yeah in answer to your question I'd say it was a mix (laughs) you're saying about like projects you're really proud of so which which projects are the ones that have meant the most I know it's hard to kind of single out specific things but I'd say, you know, one of the most recent was The Collector in the in Hope Street Theatre by Henry Naylor. It was directed by Ellie Hurt, who's just incredible. Like, she's incredible. 
had it. I just, I remember that was one of the, I don't think, because I'd never seen the play before. I know it had been done in Edinburgh Fringe and stuff, um, but I'd never seen it. And sometimes, like, obviously I trusted Ellie completely with, you know, directing. She's wonderful. I've seen a lot of her work. But reading it and not not having it blocked or anything, not knowing where you'll be, um, not seeing what the stage is going to look like. I don't know. I just didn't know how it was going to be taken. Mm. Like... Oh, it's a great I loved it I really loved it but then I relate re- related a lot to the main character in a sort of new about what the context of it um yes so I, I really, can see it yeah yeah it was a great piece really interesting just it was just so well received as well so I think that that's the one most recently that I've done that I'd say I was most proud of even more than the one in the new Vic um last year just because I just just can't describe it but it was just overwhelmingly successful do you know what I mean like and and received and it was just a really proud moment and yeah and I just really felt like we'd done something special you know and it's a shame we haven't done anything else with it as yet but yeah I'd I'd have to say that one if I was to pinpoint one in theatre cancel 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 looking at social media social media I do my um I do my research Um, okay you, you post quite a lot about about um, the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. and a lot of people say that this is probably the most significant civil rights movement since the 1960s. So why why is this movement, do you think, so so important? Um, that's like a big question to ask. That's a pretty big question. Yeah. Um, I think the systemic racism that's been going on since the 17th century just just the fact that yes it's become a big deal now it's become not a big deal now like remember the black lives matter movement has been going since 2013 mm. um, and because more things are being filmed now we're seeing horrific police brutality towards minorities and black people in America and I think that image of George Floyd with with an officer's knee on his neck I think that was the catalyst for everyone to be like let's look at this systemic racism everywhere because as people are saying now it's not enough to be not racist you've got to look into being anti-racist um I think for me it really it really touched me because I've lived with racism all my life but I've never felt I was brought up in sort of a white family by my grandparents so there was no one in my family apart from my dad who I wouldn't see that much who wasn't white so it was you know I experienced a lot of racism in school and a lot in my adult life a lot recently so I think it's hard to describe because it's in a way it's a relief that people are actually taking this seriously and not just because so many times I've been told sometimes by my own family oh you're being a bit sensitive when someone's been out and out racist to me you know or you know oh they didn't really mean that well can't I point out that I don't really appreciate that so I think this really touched me and and I'll be completely honest I've I've been reading up and I've got a lot to learn because I didn't do a whole lot of following of Black Lives Matter their whole campaign when they started going 2013 I've only just took notice I went to my first protest peaceful protest a couple of months ago in the Black Lives Matter protest it's just I don't know if I can even answer that just because I don't, I don't know. It's it's hard to kind of articulate hard question the importance of because it. Yeah. 
there's you know as jane elliott says dr jane elliott there's one race a human race and it's and i know that sounds really cliche but unless you have experienced it if you are a white person and you you are automatically privileged this is the thing you have privilege you know it doesn't doesn't mean your life hasn't been hard it means it's just not harder because of the way you look or the color of your skin and i think you don't know what you don't know so if you never experienced racism if you hear about it every now and again then it it, it is easy to turn a blind eye to it but if you're someone who has to live with it all yeah. the time i'm not speaking about me i'm talking about like yeah other people you know um I think it's important that white people and non-black people of colour put the work in and read about the history of anti-racism. These like microaggressions and everything that occur, they can be a catalyst. I think for me, yeah, like like you say, I've never experienced it myself. So as much as I can say, I understand and it's a boring behaviour. I'll I'll never really truly understand what that what that feels like. It's like I remember being on a night out with one of my friends, and um, he's black, and Mm -hmm. we were in this we're in this club. Like most people had gone in, it had gone to like three four in the morning, and um, he went to the toilets, and then like I didn't see him for a bit, and I messaged him and said, "Where are you?" And he just messaged me back like, "Oh, I've gone home." And I was like, that's weird. And then I spoke to him the next day and he said to me, he was in the toilets and he heard some people using like racial slurs because they didn't know, they didn't know he was there, they said. And he just left. And it's stuff like that when it hits home and it makes, and I think, I feel like a lot of the time I've kind of buried my head in the sand and tried to pretend things aren't as bad as they are. But when things like that happen and it's people that you know and you care about and that's when it really, that's when it really hits home and it, it, you, you realise how big sort of systemic racism is and how big the issue is as much as you don't want there to be one. A hundred percent. And I think as well, like another reason I've been posting so much is because people in, when was it? In, now I'm not having a go of people who just posted the black squares but it was like, you meant to go, oh, well done you. Oh, you posted a black square, oh, well done, well done. And it's like, no, you know, at least when you post that black square, put a resource underneath, at least put a link to a petition, you know, but you never know because these people might actually be reading up and, you know, and sort of actively yeah. try and change the way. But it's still, it was like that whole- It did feel very, yeah, body. I mean, you had a coffee the other day, didn't we? And I just got, I have a really low tolerance for bullshit. And that includes performative behavior. You know, if you're gonna, I don't know, it, it just sort of, some of it didn't ring true, especially people as I saw, like say I used to go to school with or anything like that. It have said horrendous things to me when I was in school. Like, like. And then they go and post that. Like, yes, yeah, you can change. We all make mistakes, you know, as kids. Little, we can be little shits at the same time it feels like if you're just going to be performative and you're not actively trying to change as an yeah. adult trying to teach your kids or- but you do make a good point it's you either be an advocate for change or yeah. don't post things you've got to practice what you preach is what you're saying essentially isn't it well i mean if you're going to post a black square or like that was a month ago wasn't it mm. you're going to do that just put a link underneath just mm-hmm. say resources you know, I, because- I, I think the interesting thing about the black square as well is a lot of people have posted that black square and then mm-hmm. they've not said anything since or done anything exactly. since or Yeah, um, it's not a social media trend, do you know? 
not. And as much as I'm not saying that, as much as I've been posting about it, I'm not saying everyone should be like, I mean, don't post it. It's it's fine. It's just like, just be more maybe mindful or I don't know. It's really hard to answer that question, Adam. I just, I don't know. I can't give you one reason as to why it's important, but it is important. No, well, thank you for that answer though. (laughs) Moving on to something entirely different. I just want to talk about this story that I came across. Oh, I love stuff like this. Yeah, me too. So um, I came across this unusual story earlier today. And actually, this is super brand new news. And it's important news, which is what YBC is all about, Jen. Important news. So an Aldi shopper says Jesus appeared on a potato. And even her usually skeptical husband agrees that is Jesus. Okay, let's have a look. What, that? That is oh, not- I can see it. I can see it. See it. Well, what I love about that headline is the usually skeptical husband. Like he's gone, oh, you say everything's Jesus. Wait a minute. That potato <laughs> is Jesus. So hang on. <laughs> wait a minute. Switch that kettle off. That's Jesus. <laughs> so um, Nikki Halkiston was unpacking a weekly shop when she spotted the face of Jesus in a £1.15 pack of Aldi potatoes, saying the marking on the spud was so obviously him. Mark, that's so obviously Jesus. Come on now. And what I think is even the the most ridiculous part of this story is, this is in the mirror. Like, this isn't an actual newspaper. This isn't in, like, some joke paper. This is an actual paper. I mean, not that the mirror is the most reputable source, but... She was paid for that, man. She was paid money to do that. And it's like... Talk about her potato. Yeah, the the 44-year-old from Dundee, uh, from Dundee, so we can throw your Aberdeen accent into this story, immediately called her husband over to confirm her find. And even though he's usually very skeptical about these sorts of things, he couldn't deny the resemblance. So as soon as she put the packet, she said, as soon as I put the packet on the kitchen top, I saw it. What an unusual person. It was staring, I was staring at it, and it was quite obviously, the, it was quite obviously Jesus' face. It was looking at me. It was just looking at me. That potato me. face was looking right at me. So after all these quotes about her saying um, she called her husband over, they were amazed that it, was, that it was Jesus. At the bottom of the story, at the bottom of the quotes, it just says, I've eaten it now. <laughs> I mean, I feel like either she is um, agnostic or maybe a Satanist, but she's like, that's definitely Jesus, Frank. Where are you doing? You'll see the quote. I've eaten it now. I've eaten it now. After oh, all said- that, I mean, it's a good thing she yeah. took the picture before she ate it, because otherwise, I mean, she's not going to like, pay out from the mirror. Well, that's it. And plenty of other people have previously claimed the face of Jesus has also appeared to them in a variety of forms, from the folds of a kitten <laughs> to the curtains of a shrub. <laughs> I don't understand these people who... Oh my- like some sometimes you might be eating something and you might go, oh look, it's got it looks like it's got a bit of a face on it, and you go, oh yeah, it has. Then you don't mention it again. But you yeah. go, get the papers on the phone. We need to tell them about our potato Jesus. I want to know how much she was paid for that. I'd love to know. Because honestly, like if if I'm ever skinned, I'm gonna find a face in something, or I'll just carve it into. Two. I think I'm gonna start doing that. I mean, times are tough during COVID. You don't know where that next check, the next check is going to come in. So if you see a face of Jesus in anything, 
You better call them Mira because they might give you a few hundred quid for it. Um, yeah. Jen, it has been an absolute joy talking to you as always. Um, is there any projects you've got coming up that you'd like to talk about? So I've just signed up to a new agency, which is exciting. Hopefully that'll be good. And I'm doing, I've been asked to do being a show reel tomorrow. Well, I'm talking about it with them tomorrow. So I've got to perfect a New York accent. Now I know I've got that on the spotlight, but I need to go back over that. Yeah. Um, Would you say it's better than your Aberdeen accent? Well, I think anything's better than my Aberdeen I mean, accent. I was a fan. I was a fan. This has been episode five, I think, of Your Boy Counseled. Jennifer Varda, always a joy. I'll see you soon. Always a pleasure. Bye.